Welcome to Counter Apologetics. I'm your host, Emerson Green, and today we'll be discussing atheism and consciousness. On this show's sister podcast, Walden Pod, we're wrapping up a series on panpsychism. Philosophy of mind is having a bit of a moment right now. It seems that more and more people are interested in all the various branches of consciousness studies, which I'm told was a taboo subject in academia until fairly recently. And in all this mounting excitement, over philosophy of mind, and over radical theories of consciousness, like panpsychism, some religious believers have tried to get in on the action and connect God and the mind. They've asked, does consciousness point to God? Unfortunately for those believers, consciousness does not and cannot point to God. So before moving on to a few other issues, I wanted to discuss why that is the case. Most, if not all, arguments from consciousness can be summarized as the following. 1. Consciousness couldn't exist in a godless universe. 2. Consciousness exists. 3. Therefore, God exists. And from here on out, I'll refer to this as the argument from consciousness. There are some very strange philosophers who deny the second premise, consciousness exists. This is because they believe materialism implies experience can't exist but that's a topic for the other podcast. So I accept the second premise, and this is a valid argument, but the first premise, consciousness would never exist in a godless universe, is indefensible. Good luck to anyone who wants to support the idea that there's some kind of irresolvable conflict between atheism and the existence of consciousness. To say that naturalists haven't yet adequately explained consciousness doesn't mean there's some kind of incompatibility between naturalism and consciousness. There is no contradiction between consciousness as a datum and the idea that God doesn't exist. Plus, we are obviously conscious, so to assert the truth of the first premise is to beg the question of God's existence entirely. To quote Sam Harris, Consciousness is the one thing in this universe that can't be an illusion. Whether or not there is a God, that statement is true. Whether or not you believe in God, that statement is true. If the point they're trying to make is that most atheists are materialists, and materialism is inadequate in some way, that's another conversation, but atheism does not equal materialism. That's why we have different words for them. Atheism doesn't hinge on whether or not materialism is capable of explaining consciousness. Thomas Nagel, Galen Strawson, Philip Goff, Annika Harris, David Chalmers, and yours truly, are all atheists, and could reasonably be called non-materialists. Most atheists seem to be materialists by default, but it's not the only way to be an atheist. So there's no issue between atheism and materialism, or atheism and panpsychism, which is a modified version of materialism. But there's also no clash with idealism, the idea that the world is fundamentally mind, not matter. Nor is there a clash with dualism, the position that mind and body are distinct, and entirely separable. While it's true that the overwhelming majority of theists subscribe to dualism or idealism, 
you aren't required to be a theist to subscribe to those views. And though both of those positions have fallen out of favor with naturalists, they are entirely compatible with naturalism. Not only is it easy to square naturalism with either dualism or idealism, it's difficult to see what there even is to square. What is the incompatibility between naturalism and dualism, or naturalism and idealism? Until this has been explained, the argument from consciousness never gets off the ground. Not, not quite the same sort of atheist as a Daniel Dennett or a Sam Harris, um, because you take quite a different view, as I understand it, of the nature of consciousness. You are equally, as it were, opposed to the materialist view. I just, well, materialism on the one hand. That's the Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris yeah, approach. Well, I mean, these guys have very different views. Okay. Sam Harris is actually, I believe, open to the view I defend, actually. Okay, I think right. he's much more of a strong, he's certainly much more of a strong believer in consciousness than Daniel Dennett. Okay. His partner, Annika Harris, has just published a book which explores these issues and tentatively defends panpsychism. I've heard some theists group all non-theists into one big materialist camp. There are vast differences between what Dan Dennett and Sam Harris think about consciousness. Galen Strawson is an atheist, and he vehemently disagrees with Dan Dennett. There simply is no atheist position on consciousness. There's no reason an atheist couldn't be a dualist. I don't think anyone should be a substance dualist, since it seems to be in conflict with modern physics and neuroscience, it suffers from the interaction problem, and it multiplies entities unnecessarily. But a good atheist could be a dualist, idealist, materialist, or panpsychist, while remaining a non-believer. Earlier, I said the arguments from consciousness can be boiled down to consciousness couldn't exist in a godless universe, consciousness exists, therefore God exists. That is a simplification. It's an accurate simplification, I would argue, but to keep those who level the argument happy, let me read a couple versions of the argument in their own words. So let's start with William Lane Craig. Here's how Craig puts it. 1. If God did not exist, intentional states of consciousness would not exist. 2. But intentional states of consciousness do exist. 3. Therefore, God exists. So let's hear Craig defend his argument. Philosophers are puzzled by states of intentionality. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, intentionality is the property of being about something or of something. It signifies the object directedness of our thoughts. For example, I can think about my summer vacation, or I can think of my wife. No physical object has this sort of intentionality. A chair, or a stone, or a glob of tissue like the brain is not about or of something else. Only mental states of consciousness are about other things. We may argue, one, if God did not exist, intentional states of consciousness would not exist. Two, but intentional states of consciousness do exist, from which it follows logically, three, therefore God exists. On his website, Craig elaborates, quote, 
I want to say that this argument is borrowed from one of the greatest living philosophers in our day, Alvin Plantinga, who wrote an article called Against Materialism, in which he argues precisely that states of intentionality require that there be mental substances, like the mind or the soul, and uses precisely this point that no physical object exhibits intentionality, and therefore materialism must be false. End quote. I agree with the second premise of Craig's argument, intentional states of consciousness do exist, which again I only have to say because some materialist philosophers would deny the second premise. But the real issue, as with the original framing of the argument, is with the first premise. If God didn't exist, intentionality wouldn't exist. If you're arguing with a materialist who denies the second premise, then you could change the first premise to, on materialism, intentional states wouldn't exist. But first of all, not all materialists deny the existence of intentional states. They don't all accept the assertion that matter cannot be of or about something. If that's really what believers mean to say, that it's impossible for matter to be of or about something, it's obviously incorrect. This episode is stored somewhere, physically. The same goes for videos on YouTube. There are videos about the American Revolution stored on servers. There are pictures of my summer vacation on a USB drive, which is made of matter and nothing more. And besides, atheism does not equal materialism, so intentional states of consciousness couldn't point to God. Craig said he borrowed the argument from Alvin Plantinga, but the name of Plantinga's paper was Against Materialism, and as the title suggests, Plantinga understood that he was arguing against materialism, not atheism. He was arguing for dualism, not God's existence. And sure, he was arguing for the existence of some kind of immaterial, thinking substance, which could have implications that relate to the existence of God. But there is no contradiction between atheism and intentionality or phenomenal properties instantiated by a thinking substance, rather than by matter alone. Craig is the one conflating materialism and atheism here, and a particular type of materialism that denies intentionality. His first premise, if God did not exist, intentional states of consciousness would not exist, is completely indefensible. Even if you changed, if God did not exist, to on materialism, intentionality wouldn't exist. It arguably still wouldn't work, because not all materialists deny intentionality. So we don't all agree that materialism precludes intentionality. But even if we went along for the sake of argument, materialism is not synonymous with atheism. Demonstrating some inadequacy of materialism doesn't prove that there is a God. Trying to get God from consciousness is a fool's errand. The philosopher Peter Kraft has an argument from consciousness that's based not on intentionality, but the rational intelligibility of the universe. 1. We experience the universe as intelligible. This intelligibility means that the universe is graspable by intelligence. 2. Either this intelligible universe and the finite minds, so well suited to grasp it, are the products of intelligence, or both intelligibility and intelligence are the products of blind chance. Three not blind chance. 4. Therefore, this intelligible universe and the finite minds so well suited to grasp it are the products of intelligence. 
A problem with the second premise is the false dichotomy between blind chance and design. No one thinks our minds are the result of blind chance, but that doesn't mean design is the only option left. The second premise also includes the claim that we are so well suited to grasp the universe. So I guess this guy understands quantum field theory intuitively. Well, good for Peter Kraft, but my personal experience and experience with others is more like our minds are well suited enough to get by. We don't directly perceive the world as it actually is or perceive the world in its fullness. The universe is often confusing and our own senses can mislead us. There is no objective pipeline to reality connecting the external world and our minds. But our minds are good enough to get by. The world isn't entirely chaotic to us. And there's nothing about naturalism that would make this surprising. As discussed in the Evolutionary Argument Against Naturalism episode, getting accurate information about what's happening around you is a pretty good evolutionary strategy. Experiencing the world as utter chaos wouldn't be adaptive. On the other hand, there would be no reason to expect unfoolable reality-detecting machines to be produced by natural selection either, and this middle ground is about what we actually see. But on theism, as Kreif seems to be admitting here, we would expect our minds to be extremely well-suited to understand the universe. It would be completely intelligible. Not just intelligible enough to get by and maybe not get eaten, which is what we have. I'm sure sin somehow answers that objection. The numerous shortcomings of our minds are somehow the product of sin's deteriorating effects, while all of its merits are from design. This is having your cake and eating it too, in a way that undermines the point of the argument. The idea was that our minds are, quote, so well-suited to grasp the world around us that it grants significant credence to design. After all, natural selection wouldn't produce something that was perfectly well-suited to understand the world. So that should increase our credence in design, they argue. But then we reply, you know our minds aren't perfectly well-suited to understand the world. They're actually pretty flawed. And then the believer says, right, that's because of sin. There's obviously a temptation to call sin ad hoc, but I actually don't want to call it that, since it's an integral part of Christianity, and it always has been. So I wouldn't call it ad hoc, but there's still a huge problem here. It renders theism compatible with all possible observation. Our minds do something well, that's evidence of design. They do something poorly, or are prone to error in some way, that's because of sin. The model is compatible with all data we could possibly collect about our minds. It's useless as an explanation. It has no predictive or explanatory power, and it's compatible with all possible observation. So all the appeal design was supposed to have as an explanation has evaporated. So at this point, theists might want to turn that back around on us and claim that Darwinism is also compatible with anything we could observe, because we can also say, if our minds do something well, that it was selected for, and if they're flawed, that's because natural selection is imperfect, or it's not aimed at anything other than survival and reproduction. So both models allow for strengths and weaknesses, but natural selection, as opposed to design, can explain our strengths and weaknesses without making the whole model unfalsifiable. For example, our agency detection module misfires all the time, and this imperfection is better explained on natural selection than design and sin. 
we hear a rustle in the grass, and we involuntarily attribute the noise to an agent. Agent causation, rather than event causation. Even if the rustle in the grass is just the wind, or the bump in the night is just innocuous creaking, our agency detection is triggered all the same. And this is because natural selection favors this type of error, mistakenly detecting agents where there are none, over the type where we attribute noise to event causation when it really is agent causation. We're all descended from those prone to the first type of error, since the other type will often take you out of the gene pool. The result is that our minds have a bias against event causation and in favor of agent causation, which leads us to misinterpret data all the time, involuntarily. With natural selection, we don't expect minds that are perfectly well-suited to understand everything about the world. We'd expect that middle ground. But the model has far more predictive and explanatory power than sin in theism. It's not compatible with all possible observation, for one, and it does a much better job explaining our strengths and weaknesses than what is being offered by theism. Consider the example of hyperactive agency detection. Compare the Darwinist explanation I just gave to the design explanation, which is, sin must have messed up our agency detection module. God did a good job designing us in this area, and sin must have deteriorated our minds in this area. So the naturalistic explanation is far superior. So what about intelligibility? According to Kraft, there are two things to be explained here, intelligence and intelligibility. The naturalistic explanation for intelligence is a better explanation, but what about intelligibility? While the rational intelligibility of the universe is interesting and certainly worth contemplating, God is only one explanation for it. Thomas Nagel, in his book Mind and Cosmos, explores the rational intelligibility of the universe at length without granting anything to theism. To repurpose Kreif's argument with the structure I laid out at the beginning, 1. The universe wouldn't be rationally intelligible without God. 2. The universe is rationally intelligible. 3. Therefore God exists. The main problem, as usual, is the first premise. I see no reason to suppose that the default state of the universe would be utterly random chaos without God. I also don't see why brains crafted by evolution wouldn't be able to rationally comprehend the universe to some degree, since that would be adaptive. It would aid in survival and reproduction, so it would be selected for. And that is what we observe. For Craig's argument, I had to clarify that materialism does not equal atheism. But for Kraft, I have to clarify that utterly random chaos does not equal atheism. It's never been established that there wouldn't be basic logical coherence in a godless universe. I'm not actually sure we need an explanation for intelligibility. It could be where explanation ends. Rational intelligibility could simply be a brute fact. I don't like brute facts any more than the next guy, but they're unavoidable. Many believers assert that God's existence is a brute fact. He's where explanation ends. Like I said, brute facts are unavoidable. And I personally think they should be simpler than the Christian God. Setting that aside, if we suppose we do need an explanation for the fact that the universe is intelligible, God is only one among many. So once again, the first premise can't be justified, and the argument never gets off the ground.
consciousness and its contents seem to be a major source of resistance to physicalism, naturalism, and atheism, and not just from fundamentalists. I think defenders of naturalism and opponents of religion need to grapple with the current lack of a satisfying theory of consciousness. We either need to improve our thought or improve the way we communicate. The general perception is that consciousness is a mystery, and insofar as atheists are guilty of this, atheists don't do themselves any favors by pretending it's not a mystery, or even worse, actually thinking it's not a mystery. I suspect that seemingly unrelated problems arise from our lack of a convincing way of talking about consciousness. I've found that opponents of atheism, or anti-theism, especially liberal or moderate believers, like to wax poetic about certain phenomena, like value, or love, or meaning. This is understandably annoying to many of us, but I think that this category of resistance is a product of our collective lack of understanding of consciousness. I see believers, both fundamentalist and moderate, bringing up ethereal or seemingly non-physical elements of reality, and atheists shutting down those objections, but in the process, leaving the impression of being vulgar reductionists or austere, joyless logic machines who don't fully appreciate the things being pointed to. I'm not saying this is necessarily accurate, though I do think that's the impression one gives when they just say, nothing to see here, when consciousness, meaning, value, love, etc. are appealed to as seemingly non-physical or mysterious phenomena for which there is no clear and satisfying naturalistic explanation. We either need to improve our explanation or improve the way we communicate that explanation. Many times I've heard apologists ask something to the effect of, how can a collection of molecules in motion be good or bad? How can one firing of neurons be morally better than another? I think this is one of those seemingly unrelated problems that arise from our lack of a convincing way of talking about consciousness. Without consciousness, there is no moral or immoral. Without conscious creatures, moral concepts couldn't apply. So without a decent explanation for consciousness, things that only exist because of consciousness are also harder to explain, like love or morality. And since experience seems non-physical or immaterial to many people, materialism and consciousness don't go well together in the minds of many. And many also conflate materialism and atheism, including atheists. Even if you are a materialist, you shouldn't make this mistake. So, putting all that together, atheism and materialism are synonymous to many. Since consciousness strikes many as immaterial, this is counted as a strike against atheism. As a result, all the phenomena that require consciousness to exist, like morality, meaning, love, and so on, also seem to be a strike against atheism. And this is what leads to questions like, how could molecules in motion be moral or immoral? I've tried to untangle these mistakes. There is no position in philosophy of mind that comes with being an atheist. So however consciousness turns out to fit into our picture of reality, it's difficult to see how it could be in conflict with atheism. Every view of consciousness I'm aware of can be true with or without a god. As for experience, seeming immaterial, in my view, everything is physical. I think the idea that experience is non-physical results from theists and atheists incorrectly thinking that they know a lot more than they really do about what physical matter actually is, and therefore what the non-physical is. In order to find meaning. 
I, I guess the question remains that when you look to finding a purpose, why should we be looking to the random assortment of guts or, or, the, or the evolutionarily beneficial firing of neurons for purpose? And does that, how does that relate to questions like morality or the moral good? What's interesting about your set of questions there is that uh, there, in at least half a dozen letters written to me, they're, 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 you are not alone in that sentiment. So I think it's Some of this is more of a subject for the other podcast since there is no official atheist position on consciousness. My own philosophy of mind has changed quite a bit since we first touched on consciousness many episodes ago. And it seems strange now, but I used to hate talking about consciousness and philosophy of mind. But since making those episodes, those subjects became fascinating to me, and they were my central interests for several months. However, I'm aware that many are not interested. It's something that many seem to agree is always going to be a mystery, and will consequently always be saturated with new agey woo. I'm not as pessimistic as that. I think consciousness is very much worth thinking about even if no one seems to agree what it is we're talking about in the first place, though I think that might be changing. I would actually argue that it's important that we do think about it, and take it seriously, since consciousness and accompanying phenomena seem to be a major source of resistance to physicalism, naturalism, and atheism. That's all I have for you today. I'd like to thank all my patrons and my patron Hall of Famers, Jesta, Phil Stilwell, Richard Crossan, Pre-Nifty, and a new addition to the august and distinguished patron Hall of Fame, Rory B. Murkowski. Thank you, Rory. Welcome to the patron Hall of Fame. And please send me a DM if I mispronounced your name so I can get it right in the future. And if I did mispronounce your name, let it be known that it is the first time that I've ever mispronounced any name or any word on this podcast. And you can support this show on a per-episode basis at patreon.com slash counter, where you can earn early access to every episode and access to bonus episodes. If you don't have the money to support on Patreon, but you still want to get down on your knees and please Jesus, you can add me on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, leave a five-star review, or tell your friends about the podcast. You can also subscribe to and leave a review of our sister show, Walden Pod. Our theme music was written and performed by the band Whalers. The song is called Magic Tricks and was used with permission. Thank you for joining me today. I've been Emerson Green, and I'll talk to you next time.